Welcome to the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross. Hey, I'm Kara Porbaugh. Uh, I'm coming from my home because uh, this is uh, my first week having my son Arlo here in my home in Denver. So uh, it's a special week for me, but we're taking a break um, from my parenting duties to talk about a class that Kara and I were in uh, this last weekend called Helping Children Heal from Stress and Trauma. Uh, it's from the Aware Parenting Institute uh, and was taught by Aletha Solter. Uh, uh, I, I really enjoyed the class. What did you think, Kara? Yeah, I loved it. Um, she's, she put some things in a certain, you know, I felt like there wasn't necessarily any new information that I hadn't heard before, either from her or from Patty Whipfler in Hand in Hand Parenting, but there was some ways in which she made it so clear um, how we can help our kids, um, you know, heal and be resilient. So yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah. If I had to just say one kind of like takeaway summary of the whole class, I actually put this at the back, the end of my notes, I think it was, it would just be let your kids cry. <laughs> um, I took, and I actually asked uh, Aletha about this during the class. I took Arlo here to Denver. I mentioned for my first time. So it was his first time on an airplane on his first birthday. And uh, at the end, it was a little past his bedtime. And so he fell asleep on the flight. The flight went lovely. It was so great. I might insert some photos here. It was a great experience. And but then he fell asleep at the end and then I was unable to get out of the airplane without waking him. And so he really didn't like being rudely awoken. And, uh, and then he had loved his first two airports cause we had had like a, we had a layover in, um, in Atlanta. He loved his first two airports. He loved all the people he loved, uh, just walking through the airports with me. But in Denver, he hated it. It was just overstimulating. He wanted to go to sleep. He was just crying. So I had to stop every few minutes and, and, and just be with him while he cried, carry him instead of carrying, instead of strolling, riding him in the stroller. Then when we finally got him in the car, um, he really responds well to singing. And so he's in the car seat. Um, and so I just, I just sang to him. And every time I'd start singing, he would stop crying. And every time I'd stop singing, he'd start crying again for about a 40 minute drive or 30 minute drive or so. And Aletha essentially just said, like, when he's crying, he's got something to say and even soothing him with singing. And it's not like she said this strictly. It's not like a total, you know, dogma or anything like that. But she said, even even just singing and distracting him in that way is is not ideal. It's It's probably better to just just listen to him and just let him know that you're there and, and that, that you can. Hey, <laughs> hey Arlo. You can, uh, um, you can just be there for him while he's crying. So for me, that was the takeaway. How about you? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. Um, I feel like it's been, you know, years that you and I have been doing radical honesty and, and years that, I've been going down this, you know, alternative path of parenting and it still feels, 
it still feels hard every time, you know, to, to just be with and not necessarily fix, um, you know, some pain or dis- discomfort um, emotionally, obviously we, we meet. And so Aletha was very careful to say like, you first meet all their needs, you know? And in this particular case, if Arlo was tired and he, he wanted to sleep, I mean, that is a physical need, but if you, you're doing the best you can to like get home and get him in bed to where he can sleep. So like she just d- differentiated between um, when a kid is, when a child is crying because they actually need something and they're communicating, I'm, I'm you know, I'm hurt here or I'm hungry or whatever. It's different than the kind of crying that is a stress release and a, a offloading of that that t- tension or trauma. And um, she's very careful to say that she does not recommend, you know, what some people call crying it out, where the kid is isolated from you. Like a lot of people, um, you know, like Tony, you mentioned love and logic, parenting by love and logic to me the other day, which there's some really great stuff in that book. And one of the main things that, you know, was almost stomach churning for me in that book is that they recommend that you, when your kid is like upset, that you isolate them in their room and tell them not to come out until they're smiling again or something like that, which like, I I literally almost feel sick when I think about that. So um, she's distinguishing between crying, unsupported crying and what she calls crying in arms or supported crying where, and I want to read this, this, um, this quote, um, where she's talking about how crying, raging, all these kind of like what might seem like extreme responses. Um, the thing we have to like, that I have to keep remembering is that like, it really is okay. It really is healing. It's not, a bad thing. And I believe that in my mind and it's still hard like in the moment. So here's what a a quote of hers that I like. Healing consists of returning to the same level of arousal that occurred during the original trauma and processing the emotions while feeling safe and loved. So that's the difference. We're there. We're there with a calm and warm presence while they're going through this state of arousal of course, we're taught to believe that any state of arousal is bad, right? Like anything, any emotion, any like physical arousal is like, don't go there. So um, that is the necessary piece. And that's what we do in radical honesty. And that's what we're talking about doing with our kids, that that level of arousal is not something we need to be afraid of or, or make go away. It's the completion of a natural process that was blocked. This appears to convince the brain that the threat has been dealt with and overcome to revisit that trauma or that emotion or that arousal while feeling safe and loved. A healed child is relaxed, alert, communicative, and nonviolent and is no longer triggered by trauma reminders. Yeah, that's what I think it really all comes down to is that there's like, there's healing there. We can't avoid, we can't get over the stress or the trauma by, by trying to keep like on an even, like low arousal place. We have to go into that place of arousal with a loving witness 
Um, and something about that reorders our systems so that that threat is no longer a threat anymore. And that's really what even just like therapy is, you know, you have to re-experience these interrupted, um, you know, traumatic experiences or upsetting experiences. And the, the, the goal here is not interrupting them in the first place, you know? Uh, I have a piano back there and yeah, yesterday Arlo was playing the piano with me and he kind of slipped and kind of hit his face on the piano and it wasn't too bad, but it was, it was bad. It scared me. And, mm -hmm. um, and so he was just really crying and really crying. And, and I had just gone through the training. I, I don't know if I would have done the same or not otherwise, but I was just there with him crying and he just kept like pointing at where he hit his face pointing at his face he's pointing at everything now but like pointing at the part of the piano where he hit his face pointing back at his face and just like processing it in his brain while crying and I wasn't yeah. wasn't bouncing him wasn't wasn't you know oh it's okay it's okay distracting him from the experience just like letting him be in it and yeah and I, I don't know I make up that he just processed it and another quote from her is kids can handle things if they have a witness supporting and loving them unconditionally yeah well done i love that example tony because like with really young children i think it's sometimes it's just as much the surprise of like what happened you know mm -hmm. like he may not like he needed to understand like oh like my my face hit the piano and there's the piano and here's my face and I fell down and, you know, they're really processing like what actually did happen. Yeah. It's not so much like, a, I can't take this. I'm in so much pain, but it's like slowing down to be like, actually be like, this is what happens. Yeah. At one point I made myself really laugh because again, I'll insert and post a picture of Aletha during the screen share. This is her first time doing a, a zoom presentation <laughs> you could tell her slides have been around for a little while <clears throat> mm. but a lot of the things she said felt like kind of radical to me this is the radical parenting podcast her, her her program certainly isn't related to radical parenting it's just called um aware parenting institute but um she's the least radical looking human on the planet <laughs> yeah i was enjoying that as well she's yeah. like the sweetest kindness you know elderly sort of grandmother looking woman yeah i really liked this this slide that she showed so when we when we stop a child's stress by bouncing and jiggling and rocking them that can result in hyperactivity for the child she's discouraging all of this she's discouraging it's so common your child's especially babies they're they're crying you you bounce them but she says you know bouncing jiggly rock them you don't want to do that it's an interruption of something that they need to experience and express feeding them for comfort rather than because they're hungry if they're crying because they need a bottle you want to feed them if they're crying because they're upset you don't want to shove food in their face it can result in addiction to the breast, the bottle, food, sugar. Um, she really discouraged pacifiers. I was kind of, we give Arlo a pacifier just for his sleep. And I was, I was a little bummed to learn. Yeah, I think he's kind of hooked on it now. So I don't know if, but it can cause addiction to the pacifier. <clears throat> and then, like she said, even talking, singing, giving toys um, can 
just, you know, result in chronically unhappy, whiny, demanding behavior. Here's what she does suggest. Just to listen to your kid crying and say, I hear you. I'm listening. It's okay to cry. These are just examples, not, not things you need to recite, but I see how upset you are. Do you want a hug? I'm right here. You're safe with me. I will stay with you until you feel better. I won't leave you alone with those big feelings. You can cry as long as you want. You don't have to explain anything. I love you no matter how sad or mad you are. I really liked that summary of what we can, what we can say and do when we just don't know what to say and do because we, none of us yeah. want our kids to be, to be crying. Yeah. Let's look at one more, one more slide that she had. Um, and I want to say oh, something yeah, about ahead. that. Mm -hmm. um, it was really important for me to hear her say, and I've heard this many times from various people, but I need to hear it over and over again. We can't prevent our children from experiencing stress and trauma. I mean, we can do our best to have like a, a healthy and predictable life, you know, and there, there, it just is impossible to avoid every single stress or trauma as much as we try to protect them. We can, it could be anything from like this, you know, social difficulties at, with, with older children or like the simplest medical thing, like getting routine vaccinations, you know, um, a grandparent dies, like there's so many things that are just, it's part of life. Like our kids have lots and lots and lots of stresses and trauma, including from our own behavior. I, I put such importance on parenting and, and then it almost makes it worse if I like, you know, raise my voice or do something in the not ideal way. I feel so guilty about it. And I, I feel more hopeful thinking like my child can heal from anything, including my own behavior. Mm -hmm. And I can help her with that. You know, if like, if I lose my shit and she's gets scared, I can then actually really connect with her and help her get over that. Even when it's coming from me, her stress is coming from me. Totally. And Aletha was so careful. Like when I was asking her questions about singing to him in the car, or giving him a pacifier, or any of those sorts of things, you could tell she doesn't she wants to give you the information, but she really doesn't want parents to beat themselves up, you know, about this stuff. And there's a lot of talk about how, you know, it's never too late and, you know, that it's okay to make mistakes. I kind of just wanted to like, stop, stop, stop taking care of me. Just give me the information. Just tell me what's right yeah. and what's wrong. Um, yeah. But yeah, what you just said, I only wrote three kind of like summaries, like six hours of this course narrowed down into three sentences. Um, I already said, let your kids cry first, that idea that kids can handle things if they have a witness supporting and loving them unconditionally. And then the third sentence was what you just said. It was, it's not my job to keep my kids happy. It's not my job to protect them from stress. Yeah. I really liked that message. Yeah. Yeah. So the class kind of started with just reminding us and introducing the idea that kids can experience stress, stress and trauma in utero um, and not just, you know, after birth. It says that the stress response for kids, like for most of us, is it can be hyperarousal or it can be disassociation. So 
hyperarousal is like the fight flight response. Disassociation is like the freeze response. Some people ask about the fawn response, which most of us are used to hearing now, flight, fight, freeze, fawn. Um, I imagine that that kind of goes in a little bit with dissociation. And I think that would line up with the going back to the yes brain that we did a few episodes ago with like the red zone being the fight or flight and the blue zone being the sort of shut down, withdrawal, disassociating one. Yeah. If you guys haven't watched that one on the yes brain of all the books we've read and we've read about 20 now, I'd say that might be my favorite. Uh, so we'll put a link to that down in the bottom. But so that stress response, when it becomes chronic, results in hyperactivity, distractibility, impulsivity, aggression, violence, sleep disturbances, exaggerated startle response, and you know over overactive kind of fear and and um, threat threat response. Uh, so that's what happens when your kids are like kind of chronically hyper and hyper arousal that's a little more common in boys and in older kids with girls it's a little more common to um to do the disassociation the blue zone um so that that leads to withdrawal isolation passivity and self-harm hair pulling self-cutting those sorts of things so these are all things that yeah that can result when we are just kind of chronically not letting our kids experience the stress and process it and work through it. That's really the crux of radical honesty as well. And gestalt therapy, right? Is that like when there's something incomplete or there's something withheld or, or not finished in our stress response that um, we're not, we don't feel, we're not as much ourselves, you know, when we, when we actually are able to uh, fully experience whatever it was that got that got stopped or blocked. Then we have so much more freedom and joy and and ability to also be fully sad too. And and um, so this it's very much radical honesty in a nutshell. That like our kids are also going to be happy and free and. Um, more joyful and more sad and more everything and more alive when they're offloading, able to offload their stress and, and get the, get that tension release. I'm sorry if I'm distracting you from talking. I had a little bit of help with Arlo, but he's not too used to being with other people than me. So he wasn't. So we might have to stop. He knows I'm not paying attention this is just a setup for the podcast. This is real life. Huh, buddy? Huh, huh buddy? Oh, yeah. What do you need? What do you need? I think he just needs some attention. He needs to not be ignored from his daddy. Yeah. <laughs> he loves typing on the keyboard. Um. So just hearing him cry just now kind of reminds me of the exercise that she did during the class where she had us listen to a baby crying and, and, uh, and feel in our bodies what that brought up for us. Can I have a kiss, yeah. please? Can I have a kiss? Can I have a kiss? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just in our nature. It's to, to, we want to, we want to resolve it when a, when a, baby is crying oh buddy he wants to play on this keyboard uh so for those of you that are just listening my son uh just joined us <laughs> he's on the video but not on the audio because he can't talk yet um 
but we're taught at a young age that we are not allowed to cry. And so <laughs> she, she gave us three, uh, she gave us a couple examples why, why we have so much trouble being with babies crying. One is that genetic thing that we just want to provide for them. We want to, we want to help them. Um, another is that we're taught not to cry. And then another, a third one that she didn't really mention is that it brings up unresolved stuff for us. It brings up things that, things that crying that we've, that we've, uh, that we've had interrupted that, yeah, that we don't know what to do with. Yeah. And one of her exercises was to go back and remember times where we cried when we were a child and how our parents (laughs) responded and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I have a terrible memory. I don't, and I, I, I didn't have trauma in my childhood I had you know really kind caring attentive parents and I just have almost no memories from you know probably all the way up to high school Um, but if I were to guess some of these guesses are based on how my parents you know behave with with my daughter Um, I would guess that I was never told not to cry or punished or shamed or any of that but I'm guessing that my parents were probably more on the side of like distractions or fix it somehow, or, um, you know, would make it go away, basically. You know, so we can even in super well-intentioned ways, you know, trying to be responsive parents, there's a little flavor of like, I wish you would stop and I'm not comfortable with what you're expressing. And it's so hard, my gosh, because, you know, like, for example, right now, you know, Arlo, um, you know, was maybe wanting attention or wanting to play or who knows what, he, he can't tell us exactly. But like, you know, I was going like this on the screen. It's like, that might've been a distract, you know, is that a distraction or is that actually filling a need for him of like, he wants to interact. He wants to have eye contact. He wants to play. So I think it's, it's tricky sometimes, you know, to distinguish like what, especially with babies who aren't talking yet, what do they, what is actually filling a need? What's filling their need and what's filling our, what is filling our own need to, like somehow get out of our own discomfort around listening to their discomfort or pain or dissatisfaction. Yeah. And rather than look for like a clear cut answer to that question, I think, I think it's best to just be in that inquiry kind of constantly, you know, just like keep asking that question. Cause yeah, like even Aletha said, like, there's nothing wrong with singing to your kid. There's nothing wrong with like giving them the attention that they're asking for, but yeah. I want to make sure, I mean, just in everything I'm doing with Arlo, I want to make sure that I'm meeting his needs, that, that, that right. I'm following his lead, that he trusting that yeah. he knows best what he needs, not I know best what he needs. I think for every time that I know better than he knows what he needs, there's nine that he knows best what he needs. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's one of the kind of core ideas behind radical parenting is, is, is this idea that, that our children are the product of billions of years of evolution and are just like, it's just a miracle. And, and there, it's not perfect. There are, some, there are some gaps we need to be filling and we do need to be providing some leadership, but not as much as most parents think, I think. I, I was interested in what she said to you about singing in the car. Yeah, and she kind of said, it's not 
bad and it's maybe not necessary. And I was thinking, I know more of the details of the situation than what her did. And I'm like, right now I'm thinking, you know, that may have been something he really needed after so much newness all day, airports, mm-hmm. being in a plane, being mm-hmm. 10,000 miles up in the sky or how yeah. many, all of that newness, being in a new car, being in a new, new car with new people, everything, new, 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 everything. Your voice is something that he knows. That's yes. Familiar. Singing the exact he's same songs he's been hearing since yeah. he was one day old. Yeah. And you're in the car, you can't hold him. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's probably something where, you know, that probably was something that he was comforting for him, not in a stifling way, but in a like, I'm having a hard time here. And here's like one one thing that I can latch onto. Like I know my, my daughter um, goes to her dad's house for two days every week we only live 30 minutes away from each other but every i almost have to learn this over again every time every time she comes back almost she needs to fall apart and have some kind of meltdown we don't know what's going on for them you know we don't know what their stresses are we just don't really know i don't know what she was doing at her dad's house for two days i don't know what she's been doing at school for six hours today i don't know what you know, happened with a a friend or another child or, Mm -hmm. you know, we just don't really know what's going on for them. And they're not going to be able to describe it in a logical way for a few more years. So I really like that um, statement on from Aletha's list there of you don't need to explain anything. And I almost want to just remember that for myself, talking about it in a very simple way in in order to just like process and revisit is one thing, but like trying to analyze and do a bunch of like um, that kind of talking about it isn't the most helpful. Like it's actually about having the experience and having the, the, the physical arousal and going through that. And we should talk about play before we run out of time. Yeah. Yeah, about 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Well, Aletha gave a few examples, like you said, where where she did know what her child had gone through. And so she kind of mm-hmm. responded differently to to what to what her child was dealing with because she understood all of that. And there's another book that I did, an episode that I did with Laura Turley, I think that you weren't part of, where we read The Explosive Child. And they gave those more of those examples, like here's all this stuff leading up to like this kid freaking out about her ego waffle or whatever. And like you were just talking about Elsie Jane, most of the time we aren't going to know that. We aren't going to know what they're, what they're rebuilding up, you know, like what, what's coming up for them, the, the broken cookie example or whatever that she gave, you know, like we aren't going to know what the, and this is an example where her daughter maybe flipped out about a broken cookie because um, none of the cookies that she was feeding her were whole or something like that. And all we know as parents sometimes is my kid is totally flipping out over this broken cookie. And we're often not going to be able to put the pieces together about, oh, this is actually about these things that have happened and led up where she didn't feel safe, like letting all this out. And now, now today, in this moment, this is where all this stuff that's been building, all this tension that's been building up is going to get, get flushed out. And we just have to trust them that they need to do it. Like, instead of just saying, Oh, what, this is just your broken cookie. It's no big deal. Shut up, you know, or something like we just need to trust that 
there's some good reason why they're flipping out in this moment and they just need you to be there and hear them and let them know it's safe for them to experience what they're experiencing. Yeah. Trusting that there is a really good reason. Yeah. And that it's a like golden opportunity that they feel safe in that moment to release it. And that that's like, it's like, like great, bring it on, you know, like, we can welcome that knowing that it's, it's really healing and that they're going to feel so much better afterwards. Yeah. So let's talk real quick about, um, about play. Well, I have one example that I'm kind of proud of actually. So um, I, you know, all this talk about the nervous system, you know, I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about is like stress, this, you know, our autonomic and, sorry, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems and what's going on there. And I'm trying to track my own more, you know, so that I know when I'm, when I'm building up tension um, so that I can take care of it when my daughter's not around. So anyway, one of the times where I do sometimes lose it is teeth brushing time. It's like it's bedtime, we're both tired. Um, teeth brushing is, you know, at, Sometimes we, I just let go of it, um, but it's not one of those things where I, I'm, I'm not willing to say like, we're just, we'll just brush teeth whenever we feel like it. You know, I, that's the thing. We brush teeth every night and um, over and over and over again, we've had battles over teeth brushing and I've tried so many different things and like, we have a few little games that work and, and things that we do, but still it's often takes you know, five or 10 minutes of either playing or, or arguing or whatever until we can actually brush teeth for like one or it, and it takes one or two minutes. Right. And I'm saying all these, like, like we could have been done by now if we had started originally. And, you know, I'm saying all the stuff that like doesn't work with kids. Sometimes I'll just be like, okay, I'm going to walk away and do something else. Come get me when you're ready. I've just tried everything. Right. So the other night I was like, it came to me here's another way to play with this and to play with, you know, I, I believe the reason she has so much resistance to brushing teeth is because I've had such a hard time with it. And she knows that it's kind of a button for me. It's a, I'm like ready for her to get in bed and be done with my parenting day. Right. And like go take a bath or watch Netflix or whatever I'm going to do. And I'm like really feeling tense about it so she knows that I'm having some tension about it I don't even think it's about her it's about me so I thought how can we play around with that and so I started asking her um okay I would say instead of saying okay now it's time to brush teeth I'll say now it's time to argue about brushing teeth and she would laugh at me and look at me funny and then we would kind of play argue and the first few times she said no we don't have to argue. And then I would make a big fuss about like, oh, but we always argue and we need to like argue about it first before we brush teeth. And she'll laugh and, you know, think it's funny. And then she'll say, did you really miss arguing mama? I'll say, and I'll say, yeah, we used to do that every night. And then finally one night she was like, okay, we'll argue. And so I was making fun of myself by like pretending to get upset and like stomping out of the room and saying like, oh, I'm going to go and I need a break. I'm going in the other room. And, um, you know, I'm listening to make sure that she's laughing and that she's like thinking it's actually a game. 
And um, yeah, it worked awesome. I was like, after three years of trying everything, I could just be like, okay, let's argue about brushing teeth. And then it's just kind of evaporates, you know, her resistance. Yeah, when you told the story about like, the germs that are whatever that are hiding in her teeth oh, or whatever yesterday bugs. yeah yesterday there was a, a a little girl over here visiting with arlo that didn't want to put her socks on and so i used that same thing like her sock was like a monster that wanted to eat her foot and then she held her hand to like stop it i was like okay it's gonna eat your hand instead or whatever uh just yeah playing these games and karen i didn't mention but aletha said that crying is one of the main ways that kids process their experience and, and, you know, and yeah, process and resolve things in their brain and body and this play and laughter is the other. So that's why about half of the workshop is really focused on play and laughter. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, Tony. Cause we're like, this is one place where she um, recommends that parents actually do take the lead in a way in terms of sort of designing a game that helps the child to revisit the tension, whatever it is. So it's kind of fun. Sometimes I feel like I don't want to play any games. Like I'm tired. I can't think of like something fun right now. I'm in the least fun mood ever. Right. But then even if it's like, I feel like arguing with her about teeth brushing, it's like, well, that's the game. And you know, if I, if there's any exaggeration or silliness, it's a way of revisiting something that has, I wouldn't say been traumatic for her, but been probably stressful for her. It's probably stressful anytime your parent gets upset or tense. Um, And so it's a way to revisit it in a safe way when we're playing and laughing and doing especially physical play or jokey, silly stuff, then it's safe, but we're still, um, it's therapeutic in that way. So she gave all kinds of examples of like, you know, you, you know, you can use toys or dolls or whatever to like literally replay a situation that was upsetting to a child, which is really pretty radical, right? I mean, we often think, oh, don't make them talk about it or, you know, don't do anything that's going to upset somebody. You know, if somebody's, you know, had a loved one die or had a traumatic something, oh, like, don't make them talk about it. Don't upset them. And this is the exact opposite. It's like revisiting what happened, playing it out, playing out different scenarios about, you know, she was talking about something with her son where something had happened on the beach and they played it. She said for three days, all different scenarios of this happened or that happened, re, redoing the scenario. And um, they get to really process it that way. When we avoid it, they never really get, get to process it and get over it. Yeah. And often the, your child will just initiate that play in the way that they need to. Um, but like Kara said, there were some examples. So I'm going to do another screen share and show some of her uh, handouts. So this is her handout on attachment play um, to strengthen attachment and help children heal from trauma. Um, so this non-directive child center play is just, yeah, letting the child like free play while you're paying attention the therapeutic value is it helps them feel valued, um, makes use of adult attention to bring up and work through any traumatic experiences they might have. Another is symbolic play. So that's when, um, you know, if you're 
daughter had trauma from getting a shot or something, you can play this doctor play and play it in both directions or whatever helps them process um, specific traumatic events. Contingency play. So yeah, you're, you're doing whatever the, the kid says. This is different from power reversal games. Um, helps children develop trust and a sense of powerfulness. Uh, laughter releases anxiety. Yeah, I don't totally understand the difference in contingency and power reversal, which is a little coming in a little bit, but um, nonsense play. Yeah, I was just wondering that. Oh, the I know. One of the things is the imitation. Like if you do something where like you're literally just... Or let's say we're like I do dance parties with my daughter and she tells me like what moves to do or when to catch her or whatever where so I'm not necessarily in a, a less powerful position, but she is like orchestrating telling me what to do and orchestrating it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks. And then there's nonsense play, which she said like helps release just kind of kids are always having to like fit into and learn how to follow the rules of society and so nonsense play can can help them let go of all that and just be silly yeah bring some silliness around like doing it wrong on purpose because so often it's like you've got the wrong shoe on the wrong foot or like those are the wrong pajamas or whatever it is right it's like they're so often getting corrected and then it's it's you know healing to just do it wrong on purpose and have all this laughter and silliness about it yeah. I love this next category of separation games, peekaboo, hide and seek. Um, she encouraged this with kids that have separation anxiety that don't want to get dropped off at school or handed off to their other parent or, or, or caretaker during the day. Then power I mean, reversal yeah, games. About that For me and you, especially Tony and anybody who has is um, co-parenting with a, you know, a separated parent it's like I'm thinking oh every time she comes home from dad's house we can play hide and seek or before she goes to dad's house there's Arlo again mm. we might have to stop but you guys can okay I'm still screen sharing yeah. right? so you guys can see those other games do you want to talk through any of those I'll talk about them yeah, yeah. I'll mute myself. so the power reversal games and this I first heard of through hand in hand parenting so of course if, if anyone listened to our the Hand in Hand Parenting po- um, podcast, which was one or two episodes ago, um, actually we did Patty Whipler's book called Listen. You know, all this play stuff is very similar to, um, to Hand in Hand Parenting. So power reversal games. I really am so glad I learned about this because, you know, we often as parents think that we need to sort of maintain our authority somehow. And this is the exact opposite where like, I was never sure, should I let my child win on purpose? Or is that sort of like lying and faking it and, and giving her some false sense of like, that she's going to win all the time. And I realized that, you know, if I was in a world where, every, almost everyone around me was like 20 feet tall and knew how to do all the things that I didn't know how to do and was stronger than me that I might like to win sometimes or be the strong one sometimes. And so um, 
I like this one, Power Reversal Games. The adult pretends to be weak, frightened, clumsy, or stupid. She's pushing me over and I fall down or whatever. And the, the kid knows that it's silly. They know they can't actually push you over. So it's play, it's a game. And they get to release some of their like, you know, frustration and powerlessness and, and be the, the powerful one. Good. This one, Regression Games. Oh yeah, my daughter does this one every once in a while child pretends to be a baby and the adult joins in by and so often I see adults like kind of shaming kids when they act like a baby and you know it's not always pleasant to like if you're like if the kid is you know crying or whining or something um but yeah my daughter's five and she will every once in a while she will just curl up in my lap in like almost a nursing position and kind of like even lay her head on my breast and and say, I'm the baby. It's like pretty obvious, you know? And so I feel very, having learned about some of this, I feel very confident now that like, that's healthy and healing for her in some way. I have no idea where it's coming from, but she kind of just will start it on her own. Next one, activities with body contact. Aletha was saying for, for kids who've been through more serious trauma and abuse that, full on body contact might be too much and then it, and it might just be like a hand clapping game that kind of contact um but the kid is getting that that um that safety and connection through physical touch and then the last one cooperative games and activities i'm i'm not so familiar with that one and my child's not so interested in that. <laughs> it's very rare that we like do a puzzle together or you know, build, build something together every once in a while, I guess. Yeah. And again, the, the kind of summary is just that play and crying are the two ways that kids work through their stress and that kids will often kind of just initiate the play that they need, but occasionally we need to initiate it. And that's, that's one of the ways to do it. Check out this little boy. Check out this little boy. Hey, Arlo. He just finished his bottle. He just mm. finished his bottle. Some milk. So thank you guys for joining us uh, for a special episode. Again, we'll put links to Aletha Solter and their Dear. parenting institute. Yeah, and I think we'll probably you want some more bottle. This is empty. I'll fill it up though in just a second. Uh, I think we'll um, we'll probably do one of her books. Have you read any of her books? I haven't. I just ordered a couple of them. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I think the first one, especially they're all for kind of different age ranges. And the one that's for this guy's age range, I'd be excited to, to, um, (laughs) to read. He's going to start pushing all the buttons and he's going to ruin our Zoom call. So it'll be the perfect outro. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. We're going to do an episode on um another book the bowen theory right eight concepts yeah. of the bowen theory yeah yes a really good one and he'll be back back in back in his other home back in his mommy's okay. home thank you guys so much right. uh thanks, thanks for everybody. listening to the radical parenting podcast and we'll see you next week Bye-bye. bye bye there you go buddy